Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 192. Don't be afraid of trying. Be afraid of doing nothing. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Shanu Mapleton. Shanu, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm strapped in here with my six-point racing harness, ready to go. All right. I love it when my guests come prepared for a fun ride. (laughs) (laughs) Shanu Mapleton grew up in Detroit, and he admits his first memory is looking out the window of his preschool at the cars that would go by. He started Sector 111 in 2003 and operates out of Temecula, California. It's a company that focuses on lightweight sports cars, including Lotus, Ariel Adam, Briggs Automotive Company, and Alfa Romeo. He's a lifelong auto fanatic, and he earned a mechanical engineering degree at GMI Engineering Management Institute, which is now the Kettering University. He started in the industry in 1985, working at Pontiac Firo Assembly, and then he moved to 3M Automotive. Today, he's chasing his automotive dreams. So, Shanu, I told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a moment and share some more about your history, your business, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? Yeah, thanks, Mark. Yeah, I, I'm a dyed-in-the-wool car fanatic. I just It's my first memory. I, I, I've been passionate about cars from you know the first memory. And, and I was one of those kids that could point out any car from a half a mile away by just seeing its taillight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was the kid that knew all the specs on the back of road and track and could, you know, recite that, you know, better than I could uh, do in a, in a spelling bee. But, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I love cars, and I still love cars. And, you know, growing up in Detroit, it's, it's, it's you know, almost a part of everyday life there. Sure. And a good place for, for a kid who loves cars to, to, to be. So, you know, I grew up going, you know, taking relatives and friends to visit the Henry Ford Museum and the River Rouge factory and the Mustang plant. I mean, those were regular uh, trips, you know, that we would take. So, you know, seeing these cars being built and um, being around them all was just, I was basically blessed or doomed, you know, depending on what your perspective <laughs> is. But, uh, you know, I ended up 
having a little internship at Ford when I was a high school senior, and ultimately I got into GMI, which was at one time known as General Motors Institute, and that school is a five-year program, and it's you know, has a cooperative program from day one, and so I actually got hired by Pontiac Fierro at their assembly plant, so I started there in 1985, and you know worked in the industry straight out of high school, you know essentially. Yeah. You know, three months of school, and then you three months of, of work, and so it was great. I mean, I was there until the factory closed, and you know it was a wonderful place to cut your teeth. You know, I oh, mean, yeah. no no better place, you know, for a kid who's wet behind the ears, you know, engineering <laughs> student learning about, you know, the automotive industry, because that, that factory was, was quite innovative. I mean, the product, the car itself was very innovative, mm-hmm. but they also used manufacturing techniques that were very innovative, and then even management techniques, like the team concept and how they had adopted SPC. And so, you know, Deming was, uh, was you know, our guru there, and we really followed, you know, many of the, um, what's now pretty common, but, you know, 30 years ago, these were very, very innovative, you know, techniques and and tactics and methods and and so ultimately, you know, we 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 felt that you know we were doing, you know, frankly, it was some of the best work within General Motors at the time. And yeah. so, anyway, it was a cool place to be. And and um, when they shut the factory, I had to go find another job. And sure. 1988 was a pretty tough time to be looking for a job in the automotive industry. And um, as a student, you know, your options are a little even slimmer still. But uh, right. I, ma- I managed to get uh, employment with 3M in their automotive division. They're based there in Detroit as well. And ultimately, they sent me to St. Paul, Minnesota to finish up my thesis. And I ended up getting hired on by my boss out there and worked in an advanced manufacturing group on automotive products and then moved into technical services into the laboratory and I worked um, supporting Asian operations through the mid-90s. So I traveled to all the major Asian countries many, many times, mm-hmm. you know, supporting automotive and motorcycles. So it's just, I mean, as a car guy, as and as it turns out, I mean, I, I got into motorcycling. In fact, it was the last year of my uh, co- college years when um, I had this old old uh, beat-down Saab 99. Um, <laughs> remember those? <laughs> for those of people that may remember that car. And uh, it basically, you know, had a cracked um, cylinder head. And I was um, going through coolant, you know, every time I drive the car, I'd go <laughs> sure. through a jug of coolant, a big, big, you know, fog that was coming out of the back of the car. And anyways, it was it was an old car, and I had just been offered a full-time employment as an engineer. And so I ordered my first brand-new car, which was a, a 91 Volkswagen GTI. Oh, and yeah, cool. So my car was kind of broken down, and it was the beginning of the summer, and I bought a motorcycle, and I rode through the summer with just a bike until this GTI showed up, which was in the fall. And so, anyways, I stayed at 3M through most of the 90s, and the car fanatic, motorcycle fanatic, and as as I was mentioning earlier about the Asian operations was kind of cool because half of it was was actually in support of of motorcycle operations because in, in the mid 90s most of the Asian countries you know obviously the motorcycle business was you know from a unit perspective was much higher than 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 automotive right so we did a lot of work there in particular in Japan and in India and Indonesia and you know it, it was um, really really yeah a fun fun experience well tell me a little bit about so I'm really interested in this business you've got going now, and you started this back in 2003, so it's been around for a while. You guys build some really interesting cars, and I know when I had Bill Thomas on Cars Yeah, he talked about this new project that you guys are kind of working on together a little bit, but tell tell our 
our listening audience about Sector 111. Sector 111, I started that kind of um, to support the new Lotus Elise that was coming to the U.S. I had a car on order and had been on this wait list for a couple of years, and I kind of looked around in the market, and I had always tuned my cars. Um, I'd always made modifications to them to, to, to make the car a bit more of what I wanted, you know, mm-hmm. whether it was wheels or suspensions or exhaust systems, you know, things that I that I would do to, to the previous cars that I owned, which were at BMWs, I had a Porsche before that, an Evo, and um, you know, cars that were performance-oriented. You know, I, I came to racing on tracks later in life, basically in the early 90s, my first BMW in 93, 325, which I took, joined BMW CCA and started doing high-performance track days with them. And yeah. so, anyways, I really got hooked on track days and having fun, you know, with the cars. And the Lotus Elise, you know, when they first announced that car in the mid-90s, I just absolutely knew I needed to have that car at some point because it was, you know, and I know this may sound a bit ridiculous, but it was somewhat a... a you know, modern version of the Pontiac Fiero, mm-hmm. which yeah, I, I could never that. afford, <laughs> you know, when I worked there because I, I was simply a student. But anyways, you know, the, the cars, the Elise and the Fiero actually have some very, very similar characteristics. I mean, a, a space frame chassis, um, composite body, mid-engine, two-seats, rear drive, mm-hmm. you know, lightweight, small car. And so, anyways, the Elise was absolutely on my short list. And when they finally brought a street version to the U.S., I got on the wait list. And so I looked around. No, no one was really doing anything for um, aftermarket accessories and racing parts in the States. And so I thought, hey, I can do something. And so I jumped in on that. And most of my best friends are in the automotive industry, you know, most of who are working at the OEs or, you know, at, at, in the supplier base. So I felt like, you know, I had a pretty strong network. And... As an engineer, having worked at 3M, having de- and I had developed so many products. You know, 3M is you know innovation is the key there at 3M, and right. having worked in product development, I felt pretty comfortable developing product you know for automotive you know use. And so, I thought, what the hell, I'm going to give it a shot. And um, I kind of don't do anything slowly, so I went at 150 <laughs> miles an hour and built up this business of aftermarket accessories for the Elise and Exige, and you know from things, you know, as cool as forged wheels and dry sum systems to stuff as, you know, simple as cup holders and car covers. And uh-huh. so kind of, you know, developed a, a, a real broad line of, of accessories, you know, for this really, really niche, niche market. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, I'd love to get going here with an inspirational quote. It's something I always like to kind of start the show with. And, and this is something that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. It's it's a great way to get the wheels turning here. So, Shanu, I know you love to drive. Take the wheel. You know, a quote that I always, you know, I often say, you know, is nothing ventured, nothing gained. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think it's Ben Franklin. I'm not sure. But I, the the it's it's just the way I, I I've um, always kind of led my life, if, if you will. You know, give it a shot, take a chance, and see see how you know things you know pan out. So yeah, that's that's that would be the quote I'd like to give to you. Well, and it sounds like you're doing that with Sector 111, as you started to talk about and share with us there that creating parts and accessories for these lightweight cars. How have you incorporated that success quote in your mind into your business? Well, you know, no question, you know, the car wasn't even in the U.S., and we and I launched this company, 
And so, you know, it was something that I felt I, I, I wanted to test out and let's see, you know, if we can get someplace with it. And we've tried and launched a lot of different products, some of which have been big success, others, others that which have fallen entirely flat. Mm-hmm. So a person I really admire, a PhD organic chemist I used to work with at 3M, you know, he used to always say, hey, man, throw, it, throw some things against the wall, something's going to stick. And so, <laughs> you know, something you know, very similar to that. So I've, kind of, I've always held that you know, philosophy kind of, you know, near and dear to myself and, and yeah. the way I operate. Yeah. Fantastic. I love it. You know, we talked, you talked about when you were a little kid and you could spot those taillights and cars were an integral part of your life, especially living in Detroit. Is there one pivotal moment you can remember that really instigated your passion for cars that you really knew you were a car guy for life? I would just say, I mean, I, I can only just, my memory has always been, in, you know, to be just absolutely in love with cars. You know what I'm saying? But I think, you know, having a passion for cars and then deciding ultimately that that would, would be the, the field that you would pursue in passion, you know, in profession in life, mm-hmm. would probably really just getting the job offer from Pontiac Fiero. I mean, for a kid in high school to go work at the factory making that car, that was it. I mean, I, I was locked in at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah very much so. Very cool. So, Shanu, what I'd love to do now is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down or crawl under the hood here and ask you to share with our listeners a huge challenge or better yet a great failure that you faced in your career. What's really important about this question has to do with how you overcame that situation and what you learned. Well, I, I can tell you I have definitely failed a lot. You know, luckily I've had a few successes that have have been, you know, big enough that it's overcome the failures. But mm-hmm. I, I would say honestly one of the the, the biggest um challenges that I've had that's that I managed to, to get through and persevere through and, and, and uh, come out in the end with a, a degree was, was, frankly, earning my mechanical engineering degree at GMI. Um, mm-hmm. It was an extremely difficult school, very, very intense. I mean, we had basically, you know, minimum 21 credit hours every semester, and it was wow. compressed into a 12-week, you know, uh, semester. And so, you know, the kids that were at the school were all the cream of the crop of every school that they were, they were at. And... These kids were not just academically bright, but they were all arounders because they had to get jobs. At the time, you had to have a job to be, you had to get hired as a co-op student to also go to the school. I see. So, yeah, you couldn't just be, you know, a, a book smart nerd. You also had to have, you know, <laughs> be employable. And so we, we had some pretty amazing, you know, students. And, and I definitely graduated from, you know, near the top of my high school class, but I came into the school where at, at all of a sudden, you know, I was nowhere near the top. Um, in fact, I was much closer to the bottom. But mm. thank, thanks to a bunch of great, you know, Fiji fraternity brothers, you know, I, I managed to make it through that school. I mean, I, I surely couldn't have done it without, you know, without their help. And so sure. that, that was, you know, definitely something that I would say was a probably a, a massive challenge in my life that um, ultimately gave me, you know, the confidence to say, hey, you know, you can keep taking chances, you can keep trying new things, and no matter how hard it is, will it really be as hard as, as going to that school was for you? Oh, absolutely. Let's shift gears here, Shanu, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story when you had a real aha moment about your business, a time when you realized that maybe an idea, a concept was really a good idea and it was going to make it, and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into a success. Working in this, this small space, 
um, you get to know so many of your clients. You talk to so many. I, I've literally talked to thousands of my customers now, and I've met them. You know, going to these uh, events and all, and and mm-hmm. you think you know everyone who's bought something from you, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was driving down the street and I saw this this um, Lotus Elise go by. I didn't know who owned it, and, and the car had a number of our you know components on it. it had some of our forged wheels, our two piece rotors, it even had our little you know small micro mirror, which is a rear view mirror. Oh, cool. And it was like this moment where I couldn't get this grin off my face for hours because <laughs> then I saw somebody who I didn't know who had enough confidence in our products and in our company that they bought a bunch of components and put it on a car and were driving around having fun. And, and that was a bit of an epiphany for me to realize that, hey, there are people out there who that I've gained their trust, not by actually physically meeting them, but by what we've done and the reputation that we've created for ourselves in the market yeah. and that they, they're willing to spend thousands of dollars with us. So that, that was kind of, a um, for me, a bit of an aha moment. I'll bet. Fantastic. Well, my next question has to do with a proudest moment, and maybe you just described it, but maybe not. Is there one moment, and I'm sure you'd have, you've had many, but is there one in particular as far as a proudest business career moment that really stands out? With racing and, and, and uh, you know, this gentleman racing that we do, um, we've been a sponsor of the Lotus Cup Series from the, from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're selling parts to our clients. We're out there racing, and you know, we decided to enter an Elise of our own. And we kind of use it as a bit of a, a test bed for us. I mean, all our cars are our test mules, but this one, you know, we decided to really go for it and, and put in things that had never been done, like uh, a dry sump system and... Well, I take that back. Lotus did have a dry sump that they had on on a couple of cars, but you know, we 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 developed a dry sump system and a whole bunch, a host of other things, mm-hmm. and we ultimately set a couple of track records. Oh wow! Um, in that season, and what made me the most proud was that we beat cars that we really should not have been able to beat. You know, that were lighter than ours, like the Lotus Two Eleven, which you know, we should, an elite right. should not be able to beat a Lotus Two Eleven. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't think so. Right, and we were thumping the Exige Cup cars, and and so it was it was a, an exciting moment for us to be able to say, hey, look, we can make this happen, we can do this, we can even beat some of the best factory efforts through the, the components that we've developed and and tuned and put onto to a car. Wow, very awesome. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car, and if you could share a memory that you had with that vehicle with me. I've had a lot of great cars. I'm one of these guys who kind of changes cars like underwear. But um, <laughs> really, the first really super super cool car that I, I think, anyways, that for me was was a Porsche 911, and it was the 993 model. Mm-hmm. So it was the last of the air cooled yeah. cars, and I bought that back in I think it was 1998, and I I had a um, almost a two year old daughter at the time. I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and put the baby in the car seat in the back. I put my helmet in the other seat. My wife jumped in the passenger seat. <laughs> we threw our luggage in the front, and we drove down to Atlanta to a, for a track event. And I dropped my wife and, and daughter off with her friend in Atlanta, and then I, I, off I went to uh, the Talladega Grand Prix course, which you know, also is called Little Talladega. So it's a smaller road course. Mm-hmm. I think it was a motorcycle course at that one point. But um, it's a Porsche Club event, and... It was starting to rain, and this was the first rear-engine car I'd ever owned. So I was really sweating bullets. Yeah. And then it was raining, and then I'm really getting nervous. <laughs> yeah. You know, this whole lift throttle oversteer issue that everybody, you know, freaks out about. Sure. 
Well, what I discovered is that with rain comes slower speeds, and frankly, you, you develop better car control skills. Oh, so yeah, yeah. By the afternoon, I was, you know, adjusting the attitude of the car by using throttle, lifting off the throttle, getting the rear to come around, and it was, it was great. So, yeah, that was, that was uh, um, definitely a, a really fun, fun trip. And the thought of just bringing my family down with me, dropping them in the same car, and, you know, going to the track, having yeah. fun, and then, you know, going back and picking them up the next day and going home. It was it was just a just a fun, fun trip. You know, those cars are great. I had a 98 C4S, and mm-hmm. it was a really fun car to take to the track. And I think by the time they got to the 993s, they kind of had really, Porsche had dealt with that oversteer issue really well. And that car didn't have the integral challenges that i had a 72s for example that had serious issues with that and oh sure i have an 87 930 now that you may have to make sure that car is pointing straight before you do anything wrong absolutely yeah. no i mean you know we, i've got a bunch of experience now in aerial atoms and and i always oh, say you know, aerial atoms you know behave pretty much like 80s vintage 911s you know it's it is absolutely rear biased yes <laughs> i have not had the pleasure of driving one of those I got to ride in one once with somebody who was very spirited, and uh, that was a, a really fun car. I'd like to drive one someday. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle that you've owned that you really wish you could have back in your garage? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, I, there, there's, I could tell, tell you a car and a motorcycle both, you know. But, okay, uh, they, go they, ahead. They, sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been riding motorcycles for 25 years, okay. and my first really cool bike was an fcr 400 which i bought in the oh, goodness, yeah. early 90s it was like 91 i had that and yeah i went in and made the mistake of test you know riding a, a ducati and mm-hmm. at the time i couldn't afford to keep both bikes so i, I sold the fcr bought this ducati a 93 uh, 750 super sport and it was a great bike and i loved that bike i kept that for many many years and not that the the ducati was any lesser bike than the fcr but there's somehow that little you know 400 cc inline four bike has has just been one of those bikes I, I wish I hadn't sold. But yeah, four wheel wise, I had a 74 GTV in Alpha. Oh, nice. Yeah, in fact, I bought it up, you know, in your neck of the woods, up in Seattle, and, oh, okay. and uh, made a bit of an epic journey, you know, driving the thing home here to, to Temecula, and it was it was a great trip. I, it was a solo trip, and it was just. Um, I actually had stopped in at Bramo uh, when they were building the Aerial Atoms. Nice. And uh, Tess wrote an Atom at the time. So I think it was in 1996. Yeah. And so, uh, excuse me, 2006. Oh, okay. Um, and, and, yeah, because I bought my first Aerial Atom in 2007. So, yeah, it was the year before that. Yeah. And, of course, I you know, stopped there, took a tour of the factory, made the mistake of, of driving an Aerial Atom and realized that uh, – Okay, I'm going to need one of these one day. So, <laughs> anyways, and then a year later I bought one. But the, the the Alpha was an awesome, awesome car. It had so much cachet. Just a cool car. It yes. wasn't very powerful. It's one of, the, I mean, I held my station wagon was faster than that car. But <laughs> the handling was superb. You know, you could just toss that car around, and hey, it was so much fun. Yeah, I love those cars. The styling of them are is just beautiful, fantastic, and beautiful to drive. And you talk about bikes. I had a Ducati Monster. For a while, well, actually, for about sure. ten years, about seven fifty yeah. that I really exactly enjoyed. Right. Yeah, that's what I ride now. Actually, is it okay? And then yeah. while I had that, I had an MV Agusta F4, which always scared scared me to death. Every oh, time yeah. I got off that bike, I kind of thought, "What am I doing on this thing?" But it was just a beautiful work of art. Absolutely, and sold it to a friend who, and it now sits in his entryway in his home. So, 
as a well, piece of artwork. So Tamburini was, you know, I, I think, you know, one of the greatest modern motorcycle designers ever. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, amazing you know. bikes. I mean, even you take the parts off that bike, everything down to all the hidden pieces were just beautifully designed and engineered. Now, this is going to be fun. I want to ask about current projects because I know when I had Bill Thomas on the show, he shared something you guys are working on. So if you could share with our audience uh, a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up. Well, there's a couple things. You know, we, we've kind of, you know, expanded our, our business. You know, we, we became an Aerial Atom dealer, you know, five years ago. And then we be, you know, started importing this car, the BAC Mono, and assembling those things. And, you know, the, the Alfa Romeo 4C, we, we've picked up one of those, and so we're developing parts for that. So we we, we kind of, obviously, we, we love these lightweight cars. And from that, we realized, you know, there's a, a little gap in the market that we wanted to fill. So we started developing a car about two years ago with um, a friend of mine, Dennis Palatov, who had engineered an interesting chassis. So this new car we called the Draken Spider, and we had been calling it Project Dragon. That was our code name for the last couple of years, and yep. we finally named the thing last year, the, you know, late last year, the Draken Spider. And, and it's a two-seat, you know, chromoly tube chassis car with a longitudinal powertrain. Um, it weighs about 1,950 pounds, and, and then the engine's a, a basically a Corvette engine. It's an LS3, <laughs> 430 horsepower. Yeah, it's nuts. Absolutely nuts. So 1,950 pounds, roughly, and 430 horsepower, rear-wheel drive, just an elemental purist machine, you know, much like an Atom, um, no ABS, no traction control, no driver's aids whatsoever. So it's a, it's a pure, pure driver's car, and it's, it's really been exciting. In fact, I, I was at the racetrack this week and doing, you know, additional testing on our test mule. Mm-hmm. So we're getting really close. I mean, we, we've, um, we, we've sold, well, we've taken deposits on five of these cars, and we're only going to sell ten this year. Wow, nice. So that we can scale it up carefully and just kind of methodically. And so the first one is expected to be, you know, complete in late March. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, we're really excited. It, it, it's it's, a, it's um, similar to the cars that we deal with now, but the biggest difference is that it has a V8, and, and this particular V8 is also emissions compliant in all 50 states. So nice. we're, we're confident that it can be registered for street use in most states, you know, versus cars like our Aerial Atom and the BAC Mono, there's certain states where we just have not been able to get them registered. So yeah. this this car helps solve that issue because we know there's a hell of a lot of enthusiasts in states like New York and New Jersey where they're somewhat shut out from, from owning aerials and, and right. BACs because you just can't get them registered. You know, the yeah. guy's running around on the track with them, but we all know that with sports cars, some of the fun is going out on the back roads and the canyons. Now, here's a very introspective question for you, Shanu. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be and why? Well, this is definitely a funny question. <laughs> I, I, I would have to say a Lotus Elise, you know, and it is why. Okay, I think, you know, it, it's a performance-oriented, you know, machine, which mm-hmm. I believe I, I am. Um, <laughs> it's small, you know, it's a bit, you know, it's a bit more refined than some of the other cars that we deal with. Yeah. And then, you know, frankly, it's just not normal, which, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a bit of, you know, I got a screw loose. I'm, I'm, I'm the first to admit that, you know, the... The kind of cars that I really, you know, love and have, have come to enjoy the most are not the most normal cars on the planet. So yeah. I think it's a bit of a reflection of who I am as well, I guess. Very nice. Uh, great answer. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Shanu, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something for the Cars Yeah listeners. Do you love vintage cars? Then go to CarsYeah.com and get a free copy 
of the fantastic Filler Up book. It's a full-color ebook filled with fuel filler fun with over 60 color photographs of vintage cars plus inspirational quotes from some of the most famous automotive enthusiasts of all time. Simply go to carsyad.com and click on the free book button on the homepage. Download your free Filler Up book today at Cars Yeah. All right, Chanu, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. You're a guy that's used to being out on the track, so you know what this means. The white flag is out. It's time to really put our foot into it, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Yep. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? If this was easy, everyone would do it. (laughs) Absolutely, especially when it comes to running your own business and developing parts for cars. My goodness. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? I think, you know, it's real simple, really. It's just hard work and putting in the hours. That's that's really what it boils down to. Yep. You know, hour upon hour upon hour. Yep. How about resources? I know there are lots of them out there these days with the web and everything, but is there one that you think the Cars Yow listeners should get their hands on? Maybe it's a website or a blog. Yeah, you know, it's funny you mention that because there are definitely, you know, new blogs and new writers every every time you turn around. But there's one guy that's been around for a while, and his website is definitely followed by a lot of us automotive insiders that, you know, there may be a lot of enthusiasts out there that may not be familiar with it, but it's called Auto Extremist. Mm-hmm. It's a great little insider blog that, mm-hmm. it, you know, provides, you know, some real insight, often critical of the automotive industry, yeah. you know, and, and, but, it, but it's very, very interesting. And how about a book? Is there one book that you can think of that you could share with our listeners? You know, there's one book, you know, an enthusiast book that always stuck with me, and it was a motorcycle book, Twist of the Wrist from Keith Code. Yeah, okay. And, you know, you always talk to a bandwidth, and, and you know, you only have, you know, so much ability to, to, to manage, you know, all the controls and everything else that's around you. And so... I always use that kind of analogy as I thought as I drive on the track and do different things, managing you know the limited resources that you have and how you divvy all that stuff up. Well, listeners, you can find these links that Chanu shared with us at carsyad.com slash Chanu Mapleton. And his last name is M-A-P-L-E-T-O-N. All right, Chanu, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question could be a real doozy, especially for a guy who loves cars as much as you do. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and this is something you can't sell to buy a bunch of other cars, Wix, so that little trick is off the table, but money's no problem today. I'm going to buy you whatever you'd like. What would that one vehicle be and why? Well, that's a pretty easy one for me. Uh, it, it would have to be the Ferrari 250 GT Berlinetta, you know, the short wheelbase version. Yes. I just love that car. It's so absolutely beautiful. It, it, it's a Ferrari it's got more cachet than anything. I, to me, it's just it's just a cool, cool car. Is it the design aspect that you like so much? Just the looks of it? Yeah, that, and you know, it, it's a front engine Ferrari. You know, which you know is, is more of of, the, of that uh, classic um, architecture right. that Ferrari was known for, and. So it just kind of, to me, it embodies everything that I, that I love about Ferrari. Yeah, there's nothing and like the sound of that V12 when it's a exactly. full song. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Well, great choice. Of course, you're going to break the bank for me today, of course, but uh, that's okay. <laughs> I told you you could choose whatever you'd like, so excellent choice. Chanel, you've taken me on a great ride today, and I knew you would. I've really enjoyed your stories, and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Could you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off down the track in that Ferrari? 
Absolutely. Don't be afraid of trying. Be afraid of doing nothing. Yes. Perfect advice. And what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about your business and what you're doing? Well, you can go to our website, which is just simply sector111.com, which is you know spelled S-E-C-T-O-R, and the number is 111.com. You know, we've got the blog linked on there as well. You can click on that. We've got a Facebook page. We've got an Instagram, all that typical social media stuff too, but you can definitely go to our site and check out all that stuff. Can they learn about the Draken on the site as well, or do you have a different website for that? We, we have it linked on, on the website. We do have a micro you know, site as well that is just drakenspider.com, which is spelled D-R-A-K-A-N, spider, S-P-Y-D-E-R.com, drakenspider.com. Fantastic. And I encourage the listeners, go check this thing out. It is really spectacular. You can find links to everything Shanu shared with us today, again, at carsyad.com. Just type Shanu into the search box, and his name's spelled S-H-I-N-O-O. Thank you, Shanu, for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with cars with me and the listeners. It's been a great fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Had a great time. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.